Hey, it's Shannon Ballard. Your Southern Mysteries is an independent podcast. It's made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. So if you'd like to help, you can join Southern Mysteries on Patreon and you get a little something in return. You can hear more than 60 episodes in the Southern Mysteries archive, and you also have an option to support the show and hear exclusive monthly episodes that are new this year called The Lesser Knowns, stories of lesser-known figures related to major historical events. Join me on Patreon today and catch up on all the episodes you haven't heard at patreon.com slash southernmysteries. When Pearl Corrins failed to show up for work on Tuesday, February 13th, 1945, her friends were surprised. Pearl was extremely popular with her coworkers at the Army Signal Corps desk in the War Department in Washington, D.C. They often went for drinks after work, and Pearl was known to love her whiskey and dancing. Her coworkers figured maybe a hangover had finally caught up with her, but Pearl had never missed a day of work. When she didn't show up on Wednesday morning and they failed to get an answer when they called her home in Bethesda, Maryland, they called her brother. Grover Walker lived in Montgomery County, Maryland and was very close to his sister. He tried to call her house, but he too got no answer. When he called his brother-in-law, Henry, at his workplace, and learned Henry hadn't been to work in two days, Grover and his wife Lorraine got in their car and drove the 12 miles to the Corrin's home. There was no answer at the door, so they used a spare key. They entered the home and found no sign of Pearl or Henry. They left the house to look for Pearl, and a few hours later, Grover Walker said he felt a sense of relief when he returned to the Corrin's home and Henry greeted them at the door. He was cheerful and explained he had taken a couple of days off work to tend to some things at home. Grover noticed Henry had a black eye, but at the time, he was more concerned about Pearl. Henry told Grover he had no idea where Pearl was. She left a couple of days ago, and he hadn't seen her since. Over the next two weeks, Mysterious notes would leave police perplexed as they searched for the missing War Department employee. And two farmers in Virginia would make a shocking discovery. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard. This is the mystery of the disappearance of Pearl Corrins. Henry Corrins and Grover Walker arrived at the Bethesda, Maryland substation of the Montgomery County Police on February 15, 1945, to report a missing person. The detectives who spoke with Henry and Grover did not know that Grover Walker had to pressure his brother-in-law into reporting Pearl's disappearance. When Grover had tracked down Henry at home and asked where Pearl was, Henry said she had run off and told Grover to call her friends at work. When Grover explained Pearl's friends had alerted him over their concern for her, Henry shrugged it off. Grover asked Henry to come with him 
to report Pearl's disappearance to police. But Henry asked why they needed to make such a fuss. Henry's response, along with his black eye, made Grover suspicious because he knew Henry and Pearl's relationship had taken a turn and become volatile over the past few years. When Pearl was reported missing in 1945, the couple had been married for about 11 years. Henry Corrins was born in Belgium and came to the United States with his parents in 1919. The 18-year-old met and quickly married a department store clerk in Washington, D.C., but the couple divorced within a few years. In 1933, Henry met Pearl Walker at a party. Pearl was the only daughter of prosperous Virginia dairy farmers. Early on in the marriage, the families got along, but the relationship between them began to fall apart when they learned Pearl and Henry's relationship had been under pressure due to alcoholism, extramarital affairs, and the couple's heated arguments. Henry was honest about the fights when he spoke with detectives. The police report noted Pearl Corrins returned home from work on Monday, February 13th, but left again to have drinks with friends. By 9.30, Henry was in bed when he was awakened by Pearl coming home just before midnight, turning on the radio, and demanding to know where her whiskey was. Henry abstained from alcohol and was forever nagging Pearl because of her partying and excessive drinking. He explained to police Pearl was always accusing him of being unfaithful, which is why she told him she had to go out with her friends. Henry said he told her again it wasn't true, he wasn't cheating on her, and explained he was done with his wife's drinking and told her he had hidden her whiskey. Henry explained he had a black eye and a cut on his lip because Pearl got mad, jumped on him, and beat him. The report noted Henry pointed to his black eye and then unbuttoned his shirt to show detectives scratches on his chest. He explained that Pearl often had the upper hand when they argued because she was bigger than him. Henry Corrins was 44 years old, 5 foot 7, 145 pounds. The official missing report for Pearl described her as a 31-year-old white woman standing 5 foot 11, weighing 170 pounds, with brown hair and brown eyes. One of the detectives asked Henry if he had slapped back at his wife or hit her. Henry admitted he shoved Pearl to defend himself, but claimed Pearl just walked out, and that's the last he had seen of her. At this point in the report, a detective noted that Henry Corrins appeared very anxious and close to collapse from fatigue. When pressed as to what he thought happened to Pearl, Henry told detectives Pearl had most likely run off and taken her own life. He explained she had tried that several times. As Henry Corrins sat with police sharing family secrets, Grover Walker sat in the corner and glared at his brother-in-law. Grover was convinced Henry had hurt Pearl. When police issued a be on the lookout for Pearl Corrins, they noted she was last seen wearing her office clothes, a black dress, blue herringbone coat, 
and she carried a black purse. She had about $7 in cash and her government paycheck with her. Detectives questioned Henry and Pearl's neighbors. One of them said she had been in her backyard on Monday around 5.30 p.m. and saw Pearl out on her back porch. She asked Pearl if she'd had a nice weekend, and Pearl smiled, said yes, and went inside her home. The neighbor never saw her again. Police checked Pearl's bank account and found her government paycheck had not been deposited. They checked in with her coworkers and friends who maintained they had not seen Pearl since Monday and were concerned about her. What Henry Corins did not know was that hours after he and his brother-in-law left the police station, Grover Walker called detectives. He explained he didn't want to say anything in front of Henry, but he knew Pearl had consulted a lawyer about a divorce. That evening, Henry Corrins allowed a detective to search the home he shared with Pearl for any clues that could help find her. But their search came up empty. Days later, the Bethesda police received an envelope in the mail that was addressed to the police department using block lettering cut out from a magazine. The note, postmarked from Norfolk, Virginia, two days earlier, was written in more block lettering from a magazine and read, Don't bother to look for Pearl. Police pursued a lead about a Norfolk man Pearl had recently met. One of her friends told detectives Pearl had met this man who was stationed in Norfolk and the two had been at a party together the weekend before her disappearance. Police spent days tracking this man down, only to learn he had transferred to the West Coast and it would be some time before the Navy could locate him. While detectives waited, another letter arrived at the police station. The letter was postmarked from Miami and just as the first letter was written using cut-out block lettering from a magazine. The note read, Pearl is gone for good, not returning. Norfolk police tried to track down the source of the letters, but they came up empty after they located the mysterious man from the Naval Air Station. He was ruled out when his superiors contacted detectives and confirmed he was on a ship on the West Coast at the time of Pearl's disappearance and at the time the letters were postmarked from Norfolk and Miami. Two weeks after Pearl Corrins disappeared, two farmers made a gruesome discovery. On February 27th, the two farmers were walking home from a fishing trip when they found a severed head on the Seneca Road in Fairfax County, Virginia, about a half mile south of the Potomac River. They rushed out of the woods, found a payphone, and called the Fairfax County Police, who searched the area and did not find a body. Only the head that was partially buried and in an advanced stage of decomposition. A thorough search led to the discovery of important evidence, including a bloodstained basket about 15 feet from where the head had been discovered. A few long dark hairs were attached to the basket that police believe the killer used to transport the head. They also found a gold dental bridge. The county medical officer examined the head 
and revealed to detectives it was a woman who had been strangled to death. Her head had been severed after death with a sharp saw around the fourth cervical vertebrae, just above the neck and shoulders. When a Washington Times Herald reporter heard of the discovery, he asked Fairfax County Police if they had considered the possibility that it could be the head of the missing War Department employee, Pearl Corrins. The reporter's inquiry was critical to the investigation because Pearl was reported missing in Montgomery County, Maryland. The head was found just across the Potomac in Fairfax County, Virginia. If not for that question, there's no telling when or if the connection would have been made. Investigators contacted Pearl Corrin's dentist who examined the bridge and consulted Pearl's charts. He identified the bridge as his work and was able to positively identify fillings found in the teeth remaining in the head discovered near the river. Police knew Pearl Corrin's had been murdered, but the question that followed was where? The only blood found at the scene was the drops of blood found in the basket. No traces of a murder and dismemberment of a body near the location of the severed head. Police were certain Pearl Corrins had been murdered at another location and her head transported to the woods. Early on the morning of February 28th, police arrived at the Corrins home to inform Henry his wife's head had been discovered across the Potomac. When asked to come to the police station, Henry said he hadn't done anything, but he was willing to go with the police. He was polite and cooperated. In fact, detectives felt he was being a little too cooperative when he offered to submit to a lie detector test. Detectives told him that wasn't necessary, but asked him to voluntarily submit fingernail scrapings and blood for analysis, which Henry immediately agreed to. All the while, saying police would find nothing because he was innocent of his wife's murder. As Henry Corrins was proclaiming his innocence, investigators searched every inch of the Corrins' home and property for any sign of Pearl's body or evidence of her murder. They sent dozens of objects to the FBI crime lab for examination, including a hacksaw and andirons, a pair of horizontal iron bars used to support burning logs in a fireplace. There was no sign of Pearl's body, but the state believed Henry Corrins was responsible for Pearl's disappearance and death. On March 1, 1945, Henry Corrins was charged with the willful and premeditated murder of Pearl Walker Corrins. Pearl's family believed Henry and Pearl had argued, things got out of hand, and an enraged Henry had murdered his wife. But Henry's parents were convinced he was not a killer. They hired attorney Harold Smith to defend him, and Smith quickly filed for a change of venue for Henry's murder trial claiming his client would not get a fair trial in Montgomery County. The court agreed. The case was moved to Annapolis, Maryland, where Judge James Clark presided over the trial in May 1945. 
State's Attorney Joseph Simpson Jr. began by outlining the prosecution's case. Coworkers, friends, and family members testified to the tension between Henry and Pearl. Grover Walker spoke to Pearl's frustration with Henry's womanizing, telling the court his sister had confided in him she could no longer stand Henry running around on her and was ready for a divorce. The prosecution believed Pearl had been choked to death inside the Corrin's home as a result of the couple's argument. They noted Henry's own statement and the black eye and scratches he showed police the night he reported Pearl's disappearance were the confirmation of how violent the fight must have been between the couple. Mrs. Esther Lynn, the neighbor who had seen Pearl on the afternoon of Monday, February 13th, witnessed a couple of strange things after her quick hello to Pearl. Mrs. Lynn testified she witnessed Henry Corrin's leave his house with a large laundry bag late on the night of February 13th. Several days later, she saw him carrying a large paper package out of his house and a pair of muddy boots and watched as he placed both items in the trunk of his car. Investigators had removed a hacksaw from the couple's home and FBI analysis confirmed there were bloodstains and human hair attached. FBI chemist Dr. Briggs White testified that bloodstains and evidence of human fatty tissue were also found in a box of detergent, the wall, a sewer pipe, the concrete floor, a piece of paper, the gas furnace, the handles of a spade and mop, the andirons from the fireplace, and a towel found in Henry's car. Dr. White said bloodstains were also discovered on the basement laundry tray, the tray on which the state believed Henry decapitated his wife. Dr. White told the jury his lab found traces of blood and tiny bits of Pearl's clothing in the ashes in the fireplace trap. A great majority of the evidence was found in and around the basement where the state contended Pearl was dismembered. After her murder, the blood matched the blood type of Pearl Corrin's, but there was a big issue at trial. It also matched Henry because he and his wife shared the same blood type. Henry Corrin's would later take the stand to explain all the blood the FBI found. He claimed he had been injured while he was at work painting cars and had come home to clean up which is why there was a lot of blood matching his blood type in the basement. Prosecutor Simpson acknowledged the couple shared a blood type, but pointed to the evidence of human fatty tissue on some of the items discovered in the home and bits of Pearl's clothing burned in the fireplace. Simpson said it was clear there was an attempt to cover up a crime in the Corrin's home. During cross-examination, the defense asked Dr. White how his client allegedly decapitated his wife in the basement of their home without leaving more evidence of the three quarts of human blood that would flow from a body when a head was severed. Dr. White said all he had to go on was the evidence and his lab analysis. The defense relied on the blood evidence and the fact that Henry and Pearl shared a blood type making it impossible to know whether bloodstains in the home were Pearl's or Henry's. 
when Henry took the stand, he claimed the hacksaw had traces of his blood because he used it to shave a corn off his foot. When the state asked Henry why his brother-in-law had to push him to report his wife missing, Henry said he thought the police wouldn't take him seriously because Pearl liked to party. And the defense pushed back, saying the state had presented no clear motive for murder. But the defense didn't know. The state had a surprise witness, 23-year-old Thelma Pack. Investigators had heard from Pearl's family and friends that Henry was known to be unfaithful. When they looked into it, they found several women Henry had a relationship with over the course of his marriage to Pearl. They learned from one of these women that Henry had a system. She couldn't call him at home, and he couldn't take personal calls at work, so Henry rented a post office box to exchange love letters. While searching the Corrin's home again, detectives found a letter addressed to Henry at his P.O. box. The name on the return address on the envelope? Thelma Pack. Thelma was from Tennessee and had met Henry in July 1944 when she was working in Washington, D.C. Thelma testified when she met Henry, he told her he was living with his sister at her house in Bethesda because he was heartbroken and single again after he divorced his wife six years earlier. Over the next six months, Henry took Thelma out at least three times a week. While he was complaining to Pearl about her drinking and going out dancing with coworkers and friends, he was posing as a divorcee and taking Thelma to dances and amusement halls several times a week. The state told the jury this woman was the motive for the murder of Pearl Corrins. Henry loved her, lied about his life, and wanted to be free of his wife. When the state asked Thelma Pack to read a letter Henry had written to her, the defense objected. But Maryland law had long established that in a prosecution of a husband for the murder of a wife, the state could show by his conduct and statements that he was infatuated with another woman. Those letters were the state's strongest evidence of Henry Corrin's motive for murder. The judge allowed Thelma to read aloud this passage. My everything, I am desperate to see you and hoping that I will be able to come to you and meet you, but I am not sure when. I'm counting the hours for you to come back, my darling. Affectionately, Henry. Love and kisses. The state questioned Thelma about the status of her relationship with Henry Corrins at the time Pearl disappeared. She revealed Henry had given her a gold locket and bracelet at Christmas, just two months before Pearl's severed head was discovered. And Henry Corrins asked Thelma Pack to marry him. She told him maybe, and he was awaiting her answer when Pearl suddenly disappeared. When Thelma heard the news of Henry Corrins' arrest for his wife's murder and realized she had been played and had possibly been dating a killer, she immediately cut off contact with him. Thelma Pack's testimony was the bombshell the state hoped it would be. The case went to the jury on May 17th at 5.29 p.m. By 11.10, 
the jury returned a verdict of guilty of murder in the second degree. At sentencing, the judge looked at Henry and said, I don't know how you killed her, but you killed her. Calling the murder one of the most diabolical crimes that had ever blackened the pages of Maryland's legal system, the judge handed down the maximum sentence, 18 years in prison, and told Henry Corrins the rest he would leave to God and any conscience Henry could muster. When Henry heard this sentence, he fell back in his chair, covered his face, and wept. Henry Corrin served his time, was released from prison, and eventually moved to Chevrolet, Maryland, where he met and married Hazel Simmons. He died in May of 1989. Authorities felt they got justice for Pearl Corrin's and her family, but there are two unanswered questions surrounding her disappearance and death that will forever remain a mystery. The first is the question of who wrote those notes following Pearl's disappearance. The second, well, that's the one that haunted Pearl Corrin's family. What happened to the rest of her body? Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. To see photos and sources for this episode, check the show notes at southernmysteries.com. While you're there, you can join Southern Mysteries on Patreon and hear lots of stories you've missed along the way. Patrons help make this podcast possible because without them, there's no way I could research, write, produce, and host this show and keep sharing these stories with you. Special thanks to some of our newest patrons, Courtney from Bloomingdale, Ohio, Dona from Center, Alabama, and my patrons from Mysterious Locations, Lauren, Mary Kay, Jennifer, Laura, Emily, and Scooter B. As a thanks for supporting Southern Mysteries, they and, and you, when you sign up, get access to more than 60 episodes in the show archive, and there's an option to hear even more. There are patron-exclusive episodes called The Lesser Knowns and an archive of Southern Mysteries shorts. And the good news is it's easy to opt in and out, and you get a unique RSS feed that allows you to listen on your preferred player so you don't have to download another app to join in and support the show. Learn more and join today at patreon.com slash southernmysteries or just stop by southernmysteries.com and tap on support. However you support the show, whether you become a patron, rate and review the show where you're listening, or by sharing episodes on your social channels, thank you so much for supporting Southern Mysteries and for your desire to hear more stories. And above all, as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.